Welcome to this week's sermon from Amblecote Christian Centre. Good morning, everyone. Happy Father's Day to those uh, dads out there. Uh, I have to say it's uh, a privilege to be uh, up here this morning, although there is a large part of me that would much rather be sat down there with you. And it doesn't help that uh, I gave my wife uh, my talk to read just to sort out the heresies and the gibberish. And after reading it, she sat down, looked me in the eye and said, well, that was better than I thought it was going to (laughs) be. So we're going to be looking at uh, John chapter 21 this morning, looking at how uh, Jesus deals with Peter after Peter has fallen from grace. And just before we read the passage uh, this morning, as a way of introduction, I just want to recount a story from my school days that hopefully serves to illustrate uh, some of what we'll be looking at uh, this morning. So I think it was like an English drama class, and for some reason, I arrived late. And when I got into the classroom, obviously, I'd missed the first few minutes of the lesson. The lesson was about trust, and to demonstrate how we can trust people, everyone had been paired up. So the idea is that one would fall back, and the other person would be there to catch them as they fell. I was paired with a lad called Ian. He wasn't part of my circle of friends, but we got on fine. But because I was late, I was catching up with my friends. I wasn't paying attention to what the teacher was saying, and more specifically, what Ian was doing. The next thing that happened was there was a really loud bang, and everyone looked around and then down, and there was Ian lying on the floor. And by the look on his face, he was in a lot of pain. Now, I got into a lot of trouble, and rightly so. Um, Detentions and a long chat with the deputy head. I could try and make excuses, but I just wasn't paying attention. I took my eyes off Ian, and I didn't catch him when he fell. So if Ian, you happen to be listening, or someone you know is listening to this talk, I am really sorry for what happened that day. They say confession is good for your soul. And hopefully what we'll see this morning is that our Heavenly Father is always paying attention to what we're doing. That doesn't mean we won't fall, as we'll see Peter had done. But he's always there to pick us up and dust us down. And unlike myself with Ian, as I was on my way to the deputy head's office, um, he's always there. He never lets go. I needed to be uh, disciplined. And like Peter in our passage, he needed to be disciplined because what he did was wrong. And for him, it was the only way to get back into right relationship with Jesus. So let's read our passage this morning, uh, John chapter 21. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathanael of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, 
we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place, with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish. 153 of them and although there were so many the net was not torn Jesus said to them come and have breakfast now none of the disciples dared ask him who are you they knew it was the Lord Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and so with the fish this was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead when they had finished breakfast Jesus said to Simon Peter Simon son of John do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to them, follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? And when Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple was not to die Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not going to die, but if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things, and we know that his testimony is true. Now there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. So uh, just give this passage a bit of context. Uh, in the immediate context, this chapter takes place after Jesus' crucifixion and his glorious resurrection, the basis for our salvation. And we have the disciples, seven of them, waiting for Jesus in Galilee, as Jesus had asked them to do in Matthew chapter 26. Peter decides to go fishing. 
all the other disciples join him, maybe to take their minds off uh, what has just happened, or uh, maybe they were just hungry. Uh, and until the intervention of Jesus, they would have remained hungry. And no, there is nothing significant about the number 153. Uh, it's just a, a large number, and God provides. Uh, you know, there is actually, unbelievably, a lot of space uh, given to this in some of the commentaries to this question of the number 153. And I like to think that every time this comes up, the question, why 153 fish? Uh, in the throne room, Jesus turns to those seven disciples and says, I told you not to count those fish. In a wider context, very probably John writes this gospel sometime after Peter's death, his martyrdom. So what uh, Jesus predicted in verses 18 and 19 has already come to pass. So back to Peter. Let's look how he has managed to get on the wrong side of Jesus. Most of you will know the story, but just in case if you're not familiar, let's just turn back to John chapter 18 and read verses 15 to 18 and 25 to 27. So this happens previously uh, to what we've just read. Simon Peter followed Jesus and so did another disciple. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood outside at the door. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, You also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. Now Simon Peter, sorry, verse 25, was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, you also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it. And at once a rooster crowed. You know, sometimes we can be blissfully unaware that we are on the wrong side of Jesus. And sometimes we can be really painfully aware that we have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Peter knew how much he had let Jesus down. In Matthew's account of Peter's denial, uh, it says once the rooster crowed that Peter went out and wept bitterly. And John, the author of this gospel, knew that we all have to face up to our, si our sin sooner or later. Because he says in his first letter to the churches in Asia Minor, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Not only that, but when God reveals our sin to us, we must admit our sin in order to be restored. So Peter knows that he is in the wrong. How does he get back on track? Well, the headlines of John chapter 21 may be, our Jesus forgives Peter and reinstates him into the fold, but behind that forgiveness is discipline. Through being disciplined, Peter is brought lovingly 
back to Jesus. You know, one morning as I was walking the dogs, and as I was walking, I was thinking to myself, you know, surely there must be something easier to preach on than discipline. You know, why not three steps to experience peace? Why not three steps to discover your purpose in life? You know, even 153 reasons why to follow Jesus. But just not discipline. You know, and God, as he sometimes does, unexpectedly answered me there and then. And that doesn't happen very often. But he said, because that's not where you're at, Michael. It's not where you're at. I'm still in the process of being corrected. I am being disciplined, as we all are. I'm not at the three steps to yet, and <laughs> probably never will be. Peter had to be confronted with what he had done wrong. Because make no mistake, what Peter did by denying Jesus that night was a serious failure. One commentator says this, Peter must have been conscious of the fact that he had forfeited all right to be viewed as a disciple of Jesus, let alone a close associate in his ministry, through his repeated denial of any connection with him. And if Peter isn't disciplined by Jesus, he will never be Peter the Rock, on whom Jesus will build his church, and the gates of hell will have prevailed. That is why at the beginning of verse 15, Jesus reverts to calling him Simon, the name Peter had before he was invited into ministry with Jesus. At this point, we have to say, it's looking a bit shaky for Peter. So why is Peter singled out here for this uh, disciplinary hearing? After all, we read in Matthew chapter 26, verse 31, Jesus said, you will all, that is the disciples, fall away because of me this night. And verse 56 says that all the disciples left him and fled. So they all denied Jesus. So why this focus on Peter? Well, we just have to look at what Peter said after Jesus said, you will all fall away because of me this night. Peter says, though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. And it's fairly kind of standard Peter, isn't it? Boastful, proud words. I was reminded of Proverbs 11, verse 2. When pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with the humble is wisdom. So Peter is confronted by Jesus in his disgrace, in his failure. He was an outcast. But what we have to note is that no failure is final to God. And that's wonderful news, isn't it? No failure is final to God. No matter how much we screw up, God never rolls his eyes, walks away, never to return. And it's, heart, it's the heart, isn't it, of the gospel message. It's the power of the cross. God is always there to catch us when we fall. Because he is always there with us. He is lovingly attentive to us, even when we are not paying attention to him. So how is Peter restored by Jesus? Well, in our passage, the third time the question is asked by Jesus, do you love me? Peter is hurt, or more accurately, he's grieved. We don't know why, John doesn't say. But it's not unreasonable to think that it has dawned on Peter 
that Jesus is linking his denials to the asking of the question, do you love me, three times. And when we see our failures close up and they are under scrutiny, we don't like what we see, do we? Hopefully, like Peter here, we are grieved to find out just how far we removed we are from our friend, from our Lord, and from our Saviour, Jesus Christ. And hopefully, we are like Peter in this passage, who accepts where he is in this relationship with Jesus. He's on the wrong side. He's in the wrong place. But he desires to be welcomed back into a right relationship with Jesus. And it is in his honest answer, Lord, you know everything. You know I love you, that he is restored. We have to give Peter credit here. You know, with humility comes wisdom. He doesn't try and give Jesus some excuse. I was tired. I didn't know what I was doing. Who, me? Jesus doesn't want to hear our excuses, our superficial answers. Remember, if we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves. He wants us to be honest with him. And that is what leads to restoration. So Peter took it on the chin and wasn't stiff-necked about being disciplined. And I guess we may struggle with thinking that being disciplined is a good thing. Maybe for some, our experiences with how we were disciplined by our parents were damaging. And I'm not trying to uh, dismiss or belittle those experiences this morning. And if you can't see your Heavenly Father's discipline as being good at this moment in time, it's okay. He knows, he understands, and he still loves you. But if you can see it as a good thing, God says himself that his discipline is for our good. Proverbs 3, 11 to 12 says this, My child, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his correction, for the Lord corrects those whom he loves as a father the child he loves. Peter accepts he was in the wrong and made right his relationship with Jesus and is restored. You know, because we don't want to be disciplined, as Psalm 6 states, O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. Because discipline only needs to be harsh from God when we are too stiff-necked to accept that we are in the wrong. That is not a good place to be. So how do we stop ourselves from becoming stiff-necked? Well, there are two things I want to draw out of the passage this morning. The first one is this. Community. And I want this noted that this is not a party political broadcast on behalf of the elders of Amblecote Community Church. But this is something that I really struggle with partly due to my experiences with church and partly my personality type, which Tim Murray describes as introverted, damaged, reclusive. And he's one of my good friends. <laughs> but community is a huge area of struggle for me. But here it is in the passage. Just read verse 2 again. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathanael of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. 
seven of his disciples are in Galilee together with Peter. You know, notice that Peter is not at home together, uh, sorry, not at home alone, feeling sorry for himself. Because that is exactly what I have done in the past. When I've been hurt or when I've experienced failure, these are the times that I have withdrawn into myself. I just seem to cut people out and try and work things out myself, solo. And this is what God is correcting in me in this season of life. It's one of the areas where I'm being disciplined. Because being alone and out of fellowship is not what God had planned for his people. And may I add from personal experience, it doesn't work out well either. And God is taking me through this process that has shown me that being on my own is completely alien to the blueprint that God has for us as believers. Have you ever wondered why there are so many laws in the Old Testament? Because God was preparing his people and us for community. You know, we all reflect something different in God's character. So if I stick to myself, then I miss out on all the other facets of God's character that are being so wonderfully displayed in you, his bride, the church. God the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit live together in community, and they always have done. And that's what we should be doing too. Tim Keller writes, Stronger community comes together around deep beliefs and causes or powerful common experiences. When Christians experience Christ's radical grace through repentance and faith, it becomes the most intense foundational event of our lives. Peter was with people who had shared the loss and hurt of Jesus' death. He was with people who had shared the joy and the wonder of the resurrection. He was with people who shared the same shame of denying Jesus. And when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, we share all this and more with those followers of Jesus that surround us. And so we need to have people around us who will encourage us, not because they're better than us, but because they've had the same or similar experiences in their lives. They're there to pick us up, dust us down, and put us on the right path again. On your own, there's no one to do that for you. And I know for some of you that community is difficult. Maybe it's just a bridge too far at the moment, especially with COVID. Or maybe you're an introvert like me, you've got two friends and that's one too many. <laughs> maybe you've been shaped like me by your experiences of church and God's people and it's not always been a good experience. I read this quote that says, you can't go back and change the beginning, but you can start where you are and change the ending. We can't change what has happened to us. It has shaped us into who we are, but God's family is all the more richer for it. The second thing I want to draw out is something we can't do ourselves because it's a gift, and that is the grace of God. You know, I just want to spend a couple of minutes looking at what Peter's life could have been like if this meeting with Jesus hadn't taken place. So for Peter, without this meeting, I think it could have gone, broadly speaking, one 
of two ways. Oh, sorry, two ways. He could have stayed in Galilee, being eaten up with remorse for denying Jesus three times on that night. Carried on with the life he'd known before Jesus, fishing with family and friends, coasting through life, trying to forget that night as increasingly he looked at his life through a jaundiced and bitter lens, working very hard just to forget about his failure that night. Or he could have been eaten up with remorse for denying Jesus three times on that night and gone into ministry, driven by that failure, desperately trying to make good what had happened on that night. Jesus was arrested, working very hard, tirelessly, unceasingly, relentlessly, to make good his failure. Trying to forget that night as increasingly he looked at his life through a jaundiced and bitter lens. That is life without Jesus, graceless. Working hard to make things right. And you just can't do that with God. Even our faith is a gift. Thankfully, that's not what happened to Peter. He did meet with Jesus. He was reinstated back into the inner circle. Peter was given a second chance. Not because he had done anything to deserve it, but by the grace of God that is there for everyone. No exceptions. And just look at the way Jesus disciplines Peter. He confronts him, yes, but there's no anger. There's no mention of even a raised voice in the passage. No payback, no revenge, no mocking. Just three questions. And notice in his three answers, Peter makes no boastful and proud statements. All his bravado, all his swagger has disappeared. In its place are three answers that restore Simon to being Peter again from having no future in the foundation of the church to once more being the rock on which Jesus builds his church. And this happened through Jesus asking three simple questions. Do you love me? Ask yourself how much grace is in this passage this morning as Peter is restored. More than we can possibly ask or imagine. Another Tim Keller quote, you're more sinful than you ever dared believe, but you're more loved and accepted in Christ than you ever dared hope. Because Peter has done nothing to deserve this meeting. He's done nothing to be restored as a disciple, but he was accepted and loved more than he knew or dared hope. And isn't this what grace is? Meeting when with God when we have done nothing to deserve it and being accepted and loved for who we are at this precise moment. Not when we've cleaned up our lives, not when we've sorted out that sin, whatever it may be, but here, now, right at this moment. God loves you and accepts you as you are. No caveat no loophole, no small print. Grace, it's a beautiful thing, isn't it? It's the wonder of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he loves you and I, no matter what state we're in. 
we are accepted and loved more than we ever dared hope. So just to wrap things up this morning then. So maybe uh, God is speaking to you about some of the things that we need to put right in our lives. He's confronting us as he did with Peter. And I don't need to tell you where you need to sort things out, where there is a need for God's discipline to be allowed to be actioned. Thankfully, that's the Holy Spirit's job, to remind you of where change needs to occur. Perhaps you are being reminded now of those areas of your life where you need to be confronted. It could be that you are wanting to move on in your relationship with God, but you're just stuck in a rut. You don't know why and nothing's changing. Well, it could be that it's time to face the music and accept God's discipline in your life. Because this is exactly what happened to Peter in our passage. Peter cannot be the person Jesus wants him to become until the sin in his life was tackled. He couldn't function in the fullness that Jesus had planned for him. After his denial of Jesus, Peter's ministry appears to be in ruins. Yet that is not what God saw. It's not what Jesus saw. And that is not what God sees in you, no matter how you feel this morning. Jesus gave Peter a second chance. Peter could have let his pride get in the way. But Peter took it. He took his second chance with both hands, grasped his redemption through the pain of being reminded of his failure. Are you being offered a second chance this morning? You know, I'm trying to take mine. Yes, there is discipline. But what grace is given us as we are restored? Let's pray. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Lord, we stand here a people who are sinful. No one likes to be corrected. No one likes to be disciplined. But Lord, we look to you, for you are a gracious and loving God. You are always there. You're right there next to us, even as I speak. And we ask for your loving, gracious restoration as we accept, Lord, that we are a sinful people. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon from Amblecote Christian Centre. For more information about who we are, what we believe and how you can get involved, check out our website www.amblecotechristiancentre.org.uk.